This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. New from Venom Prison, Samsara. The album Kerrang! gives a perfect 5Ks and hails as a furious, raging album, musical attrition that attack with nuclear force and wind tunnel velocity. And Metal Hammer praises Venom Prison embark on one of the most twisted and disturbing death metal journeys in recent memory. Zero Tolerance goes there calling Samsara a masterpiece of righteous violence. Then in Prism, Samsara, featuring the track Uterine Industrialization, is available everywhere March 15th, guys. Make sure you check out the music video. Once again, Venom Prisons, Samsara, out everywhere March 15th. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich, and I am always joined by... How are you, you little scamp? My name is Brandon Guchan, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. And Jocelyn Sharp is out there doing comedy, as she loves to do, but make sure you guys give her a follow at Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to follow me, at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter, Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, we got Lee McKinney of Born of Osiris. We're here to talk about his new solo album, Infinite Mind, which is out now. And don't forget to check out the latest from Born of Osiris, which came out in January, The Simulation. But before we jump into our interview with Lee, let's talk a little bit about the metal sucks news. Wow, you said that sexy. You're feeling sexy, aren't you? Look at you. This first news story, I I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I hated it. It bothered me. I know. I think I know. I think I. I think I can guess why you hate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll go into that right now. But uh, first story we want to talk about, guys. Some dude from New Zealand. I'm not going to say his name because I don't really give a shit. Uh, he uh, he's a black and death metal drummer, and he's charged with more church fires. Now we're all aware that back in the day in the black metal scene in Norway, there were many church burnings, which I uh, hated back then. But the fact that somebody's dumb enough to do them now really, really just irks me. So to me, here's the thing. Am I super religious? The answer is no. Okay. Am I anti-churches and all that stuff? The answer is no. I would consider like a venue where I see my bands, my church. And if someone burned that shit down, I would fucking be enraged. Fair enough. Right. And, uh, although I'm not into whatever religion, you know, has going on, a church is a very happy and, and positive place for a lot of people. So for some douchebag tied to metal, to burn down somebody's institution of peace and love and joy, I fucking hate it, man. Wow, I just uh, I would never put it to you, put it like that the way you said it. How would you put it? I would just say, hey, uh, don't burn shit. Yeah, uh, game over. That's that's well, I mean, well, you could simplify don't burn shit, but there's stuff that should be burned. There is stuff. There's <laughs> definitely things that should be burned. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I don't. I'm not. Gonna, I don't know what off exactly. the top of my head. You know what's the worst thing to burn? A cross. Oh, you don't I was going to say a that. quesadilla. But a quesadilla, yeah. right? Yeah. Have you ever had a burnt quesadilla? It's the fucking it's the worst. worst. Yeah. What about burnt popcorn? Fuck you. Mm. 
But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I do, dude. What's the point? Like, why do this? Is it one of those things where you got to show everyone just how metal you are and how black metal you are? It's like, look, we get it. You're not you're you're not Christian. You hate Christians. That's fine. Just carry that inside. Don't let it out. I believe he burned a Mormon church, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the worst matter. part. That's the worst part. No, okay. I mean, that, no, because he's dumb. <laughs> because he's dumb on top of that. It's oh, you just, think he didn't know it was a Mormon church? Yes, that's, oh, that's what I'm that's, saying. That's your, that's your assessment. That's my, well, dude, if you... He t- set two Mormon churches on fire, so I'm, I'm assuming he knew. And so we decided here to make a little, uh, little segment, a little bit about... All those guys that think they're super metal. No, this wasn't a bit. This was this actually came to us from a TriStar Cinemas. Oh, that's right, TriStar Cinemas, yeah, which yeah. is n- yeah, whatever, n- not a thing. <laughs> All Jacob ever dreamed of was for the chance to prove himself to the Dark Lord. One day he'll notice me. I swear it. But nobody said it would be easy. Look at this guy. He thinks he's metal. I'm more metal than you. Whatever, dweeb. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show everybody. What is it? that you're willing to sacrifice. Nobody's more metal than me. From the producers of Chicken Dick Vice. Take that, Jesus. And the director of God Equals Dog. That's what you get for talking all that shit. Faith on fire. So you set a church on fire to show how metal you were? You could have just painted your face or cut yourself. That's for posers. You're just mad because the devil loves me more. No, I'm actually your cellmate. And I wasn't going to suggest this, but you deserve a good raping. Give your whole... To Satan. <laughs> well, at least Beelzebub condones sodomy. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's going places. <laughs> it's called Oscar-worthy performance. <laughs> I wouldn't go see that movie. You would totally... What? How I, dare I, I, you? I wouldn't even hit play on the Netflix on that How movie. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> that is... I, I, do, I do like the theory of I'm more metal than you. I love that. Next story we'd like to touch base on. The Misfits are playing again. Brandon, you saw them out here in Vegas in an arena. And what'd you think? Uh, it was dog poop. It was bad, right? It was so bad. The The sound in there was so bad. Now, granted, everybody that said they were down on the floor, they loved it. But oh. like, but if you were in the but if you were in the seats, oh my god, it was so bad. I got to tell you, like the Misfits are going to play another show in Los Angeles. They're going to be Rise Against is going to open the Distillers, Anti Nowhere League, and Cro-Mags. I really feel like the Misfits following Rise Against, an arena rock band, is not going to go over too well with them. No, not no, at all. Because the Misfits songs are not built for an arena. But then again, though, Misfits fans are going to show up and they're going to make it really awkward for Rise Against. Yeah, maybe, actually. I don't know. You might be right. But anyways, the reason we're talking about this story, because it's old news that the Misfits have reunited, is that on the flyer, it says original singer-songwriter Glenn Danzig, original bassist Jerry Only, but Doyle's name is not on this flyer. We speculate, because Doyle shit on fans recently when he talked about like how he hates doing meet and greets and everybody's a thief. We're speculating that that's a factor, but uh, do you really think that is a factor? I think so. I mean, you just alienated your fan base. I mean, these people are going out there buying that misfit skull for decades, mm-hmm. and all they want to do is shake your hand, you know, and then you're going to sit there and shit on them. It's like, dude, it's shake your hand, take a picture, and it only lasts for 15 minutes. Dude, you're getting your money's worth, bro. Shut up. Wear your, sport your devil lock, and then go home. That's it. And now this is a 22,000 capacity arena that they're playing at. Bad news. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I no, no, they are, they are not a huge venue band. The Misfits have never been a huge venue band. They shouldn't be a huge venue band. But all I'm saying is, is he definitely, you got to have him on the flyer. If he's going to be there. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, that's like, a, that's part of the marketing, right? Is the original lineup. That's what everybody wants to see. Wouldn't that be shitty that they, they only lasted this reunion? Like they did five shows, I think, in total. 
they did Chicago. I know they did, I think, Jersey, Las Vegas, obviously, Los Angeles. So they didn't do a bunch, but that then that's that's all they can do without one of the guys saying, fuck it. Dude, <laughs> like, isn't that sad? Dude, we've all heard the stories of Danzig. I mean, come on. You know, yeah. and on top of that, and on top of that, he just alienated the fan base. So I mean, maybe they maybe they pulled the Trump card and they're like, look, dude, you just pissed off everybody. We're trying to make money here. Take a seat. I see, but that's the You'll thing. You'll still get your royalties money. I think we know that, but I think the majority of the people wouldn't give a shit. They just want to see Doyle there. Right. I don't. I don't think it. I don't think what he said in the media really fucking matters. It really wasn't that bad, but it, but I mean, I guess what it was is when I saw the metal community, especially like band members, like members of bands, they were like Doyle, what the fuck, you know? Like yeah. they they all kind of snapped at him. Next story we want to talk about is that Ozzy Osbourne postpones all his 2019 performances. Now, we're only in April, so if he's taken off the whole year, do you think he will come back? Man, I don't know, dude. That dude's health has been so up and down recently. I mean, there was a minute where we thought he wasn't coming back. I mean, there, that's, there, it was pretty serious. I don't think he's going to come back personally and i, I don't want him to sh- I, I want him. i want him to but i i just feel like there's going to be a point where he's off for another year i don't i don't think you get stronger i think you get weaker at this absolutely point. Absolutely, yeah. you get weaker i mean this guy's health is a constant issue you yeah. know and it's like and I, and every time you go see ozzy it's like i hate saying it but he loses another step every single time you go see him He's dude. He's seventy. I know. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. If he does come back in 2020, is there a chance that he'll be healthier and stronger? Maybe he has been too much of a road dog the last few years, and he needs to take years off in between, like ACDC or something like that. You know, so maybe he has been pushing himself way too hard. Well, I think that's always been the case. But again, he's a 70 year old man. Mm-hmm. It's like, how much more do you have left in the tank? If he can't give you the show, he's not going to go out there and and do it. Remember Lemmy on his last tour where he kept cutting it, maybe like. Five songs in would cut it short, wouldn't be able to do it. There's a lot of issues and stuff like that. I feel like maybe Ozzy's like, that's not something I would be willing to do. Next story we'll jump to, man. Michael Anthony said their Van Halen tour is not going to happen. That makes me sad. You don't give a shit. Uh, I mean, dude, I love the idea of going to see Van Halen, but if you listen to Diamond Dave nowadays, it's such a far cry from what he used to be. The guy can barely do a roundhouse. Yeah, but that's the thing is who cares? Who cares? Let's, I care. Let's see the four guys. Well, I mean, it, Diamond Dave can barely do a roundhouse. <laughs> you just That's just what you just that? said. <laughs> he yeah. can barely do a jump spinning roundhouse. Um, Diamond Dave still, he, who cares? Like, you see Van Halen for, for Eddie Van Halen playing his guitar. And then Michael Anthony being on that stage. I still feel like this tour would be huge. And, it, and they should put it together one more time. They're not of that Aussie age yet. I'm going to tell you what they will be. I'm going to tell you what's super sad, okay, mm-hmm. is when they release, and this is what's happening more and more and more, when they actually record the, the, the audio straight from the lead singer. You don't get, you don't get the rest of the band. You just, get the, you just get the lead singer. And then they go ahead and they play that isolated track for the internet. And then it's just flat out sad dude there's a there's a video of uh i know and i know you hate motley crew but i'm just saying like there was a video of Vince i don't Neil hate motley crew they're just garbage oh th- yeah th- but i don't hate them they're just a bad they're a shitty band okay i'm not saying yeah. you wish death on motley no, crew but you no. don't like their music do you hate their music i don't hate their music but i don't understand why they're popular How's okay that? i don't okay. i have no idea why motley Crue's popular. but i'm just saying if you listen to that isolated track of vince neal it is so fucking hilarious and i don't want that to come out of diamond dave let me have my good memories here's the thing though we can we can talk about the vince neal isolated track vince neal has been a bad live performer for 25 years 20 years like for a long time now he's been awful right 
still doesn't hurt his fan base. They don't care. Yeah. You know, that's that that's the special thing about bands like uh I don't want to say anything about like Guns N' Roses because Axel still sounds great. But but you know but, but a difference between Motley Crue though is Motley Crue will also have the stage show. They're always there that's what always covers for Vince Neal is the fact that they got Tommy Lee in a roller coaster. You got a or Nikki Six has got a flamethrower. Tommy Lee is the is the 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 best part of that band, obviously. I think I think he is an amazing drummer. I don't think anybody else in the band really is awesome that good. rapper. He's got the look. He's got the look of a He's rapper. He's got the look of a rapper to me. <laughs> Next story we want to touch on, guys. James Hetfield, his film about Ted Bundy, which was directed by Joe Berlinger, who did Some Kind of Monster and the Paradise Lost films with, uh, I believe his name was Bruce Sanofsky, who passed away. Anyways, his new film where called Extremely Wicked, Shocking, Evil, and Vile, the Ted Bundy, it's a biopic, it will be coming to Netflix on May 3rd. Now, whenever a film gets picked up and goes to Netflix, that means it's super mediocre and probably bad in my eyes because I've never seen an actual good movie on Netflix. I will say the Coen Brothers movie was good, but probably their worst movie they've ever done. Oh, that movie was bad. With the Coen Brothers when yes. they did Netflix? I, I, I like the, the cinematography. Scrubs? I like the cinematography to uh, it, but every story I was like, what? Like, I thought, I thought it was nowhere. I was all right. I mean, I, I thought it was, like like I said, one of their worst movies, but like that was probably the only one entertaining. But if it's going to Netflix, to me, it's... Why can't it go in theaters? It's got Zac Efron. Doesn't that guy put bodies in the seats? He yeah, looks like right. a Greek god. I but, mean, he's he's a fucking he's but, a lead dude. Well, movies don't matter now. Like the lead sing- actors don't matter now in movies. If you all you got to do is just get like something that just goes after your nostalgia or 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 throw a big name on top of it, like the you know like a Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that. Yeah, like, but this is nobody a Ted that guy Buddy was. biopic. Everybody likes these re- weird true crime podcasts. Everybody's obsessed with murder these days, right? And you have Zac Efron playing this. If this movie was decent, why wouldn't they put it in the theater? So with that, to me, it says that the movie is going to be bad. And I don't really care because I'm so tired of Ted Bundy biopics and Jeffrey Dahmer biopics and fucking John Wayne Gacy biopics. Like, I fucking God damn it. Like, I'm done with these guys. Like, well, well, that, that, I'm so tired of, like, every generation we got to do a new biopic of these serial killer dudes. Like, fucking A, man. Well, Isn't this the time to let those fuckers just not be a part of the media? Well, because that's the thing, though. It gets clicks. Oh, dude, it gets clicks. That's the yeah. sad part. That's the sad part. Yeah. Now all these people, all the people with money, they don't care about the quality of content. They just want to know, does it resonate? Does it spark a memory? Does it again the nostalgia factor? That's all they're going after now, bro. I, like I said, I, I don't want to. I don't give a fuck about it. Maybe nobody else does. Maybe that's why it's going on Netflix. Of course, you know that's it, dude. It's, it, with Netflix, it's just a cheap. And here's the thing: no, with Netflix, a, it means this movie is done like a TV movie. Netflix is the new Oxygen. Next, Netflix is the new Hallmark Channel. Oh, that's man. all it is. And again, all it is is just. Uh, they don't care about the quality of content, and, and that is evidence. Oh, and here's the worst part about it. Let's not say they don't care about the quality of content. The consumer doesn't care well, about here's the, the worst quality part. of content. It's not on them. And it's on the raising, people that are good with it. Well, and they're raising the prices, too. They're raising the prices, and they're putting out shittier stuff. Stop it. All right, guys. This month, the Legion will release their new album, Apoptosis, via Metal Blade Records. A near-perfect symbiosis of technical, progressive, and melodic death metal. 
It is a record that is crushingly heavy as it is inventive and marks a significant leap forward in the band's songwriting. Purchase your copy now of Apoptosis at MetalBlade.com slash Allegion. Once again, Apoptosis, MetalBlade.com slash Allegion. Now let's jump into my interview with Lee McKinney of Born of Osiris. Everybody, hey, what's going on? It's Patter with the Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Lee McKinney. We're here to talk about your new solo record, which just came out, Infinite Mind, and the simulation by Born of Osiris, which just came out this January. Two new records to talk about here this week. This is your debut solo album. Uh, You put out singles in the past, correct? Yes, I put out one, um, I want to say 2015, if I'm not mistaken. How did you approach this writing process differently than with Born of Osiris? I think uh, just kind of freedom was the most, you know, fun part. And also, like, not being boxed in by anything. I feel like Born of Osiris is classically regarded as, like, a heavy metal band overall, Um, you know, subgenres aside, whatever. But um, I think with the solo album, there's really no expectation. I think with instrumental music, it goes in so many different directions, obviously. Even within the Sumerian Records umbrella, like your charm doesn't sound like your animals as leaders. Um, and so I think that was the fun part, coming into this with no rules, just doing whatever I wanted. You know, there's even guitar players out there like Buckethead, per se, that just make totally off-the-wall weird music. And so for that sake, uh, yeah, it was just like a really freeing experience. Also, with Born of Osiris, we have two vocalists. And so when it comes to creating the music and songwriting with Boo, it's uh, it's a thing I have to be aware of. Even the drummers doing really intense uh, patterns underneath a guitar riff and above that, that is a keyboard and above that is two vocals. So that's something I got to keep in mind often when I'm writing for Born of Osiris is that uh, as much as it can be tempting to... Uh, take the lead on guitar all the time um and born with cyrus i kind of have to keep that at bay so what what stage do you think in your career where you're like i'm going to embrace a solo career but also make it instrumental i think like growing up some of the albums that got me were like uh steve Vai's passion warfare and joe satriani's surfing with the alien and things like that so being that uh those records got me into playing guitar in the first place i think it was kind of from the start uh in my early teens like a decision that i knew i was going to make later um you know not sure when it was going to be at that time but um, i think from the beginning i knew that that was something i wanted to do on the record you did embrace saxophone and a kind of a jazz approach on a couple tracks if that's fair to say how does that instrument complement your songs i think it's um just a beautiful classic style instrument I, I there's a lot of grand piano on the record as well and so i wanted to bring in these timeless beautiful instruments i think the saxophone is definitely one of them um piano as well so on my demos the like the, the the full grand piano was um a part of every song um kind of prominent and at times like i would match a lot of my leads on guitar um and then they almost started sounding robotic with some of that so what we ended up doing on the 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 final mix and master of the record is having fun with a piano. So there's moments where it's pitch shifted up an octave. Um, there's crystals on it. Like, so a lot of the times there's, there's a piano that you almost don't even know is a piano. So that got really interesting in the end. However, the sax, we just kind of wanted to keep it just pretty and classic and and timeless. And I ended up getting to, uh, to work with Adrian who played sax with the Mars Volta. And so Mm. that was something I didn't see coming. 
I knew I wanted to have sax. I had kind of programmed sax into the demos of the album. And I think that, you know, you can definitely tell a mile away when something is fake, especially with such a expressive instrument like that, uh, with vibrato involved and things of that nature, you can't really fake it that well. Um, and so when I got, uh, mixed in with Adrian, um, I just knew that I had to just take advantage of that. And, uh, he was a pleasure to work with. And he would send me, if I was like, okay, this verse, I want to do a sax solo, um, or an iwi, he would send me three different takes of a solo, three different takes of an iwi run. Um, and so it was really cool working with him in that fact, because you don't want to mess with the things he's doing. You know, you don't want to chop and screw it or pitch shift it. Cause that's, you know, what I, who I consider a legend at his instrument, something you don't want to mess with, but it was cool because he still gave me different passes and different passages through each part. And so I got to choose my favorite one. So it was a pleasure to work with him and he's a big reason um, for that. Nice dude. And I love talking about uh, other bands with musicians. I'm, I'm assuming you're a big Mars Volta fan. Um, obviously because you brought up Adrian. Now, were you a big At The Drive-In fan? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I feel like that was high school for me. A lot of guys listened to that. And then uh, Mars Volta came. One of that Francis the Mute album, I think it's just an EP even, is just mind-blowing. A lot of the things they did was mind-blowing, but... I remember the Francis the Mute. I, I remember picking that up, and I remember it was it was a cheaper record for some times. It was like a Best Buy. That's we're going back, guys. I know a lot of Best Buys don't do that anymore. <laughs> but like it, it, they where they split up the tracks made no sense. You just had to listen to it all the way through. That was the only like option that you had, you know. But I um, agree, hundred percent. It almost felt like a, a jam session where they knew they were going to play some of the songs that they had created for the album, and uh, it was just a gorgeous listen beginning to end. It's Absol- like four or five songs, but it's not short. Absolutely. I think uh, for me, their their finest hour is Bedlam and Goliath, dude. I don't know what your favorite Mars Volta is, but that one to me, I feel it, it's just sinister, man. I love it. Absolutely. I, I almost feel bad bringing up one album when they have you know the drive-in and they have so many memorable moments in both you know, oh, I'm gonna, forms of the band. Exactly. If you want to call it that. I'm going to segue into the At The Drive-In because huge At The Drive-In fan. Relationship in Command, I think, is one of the most important records that came out during our youth or during, during my time growing up. The reunion album, Inter Alia, I remember, it, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if you did as well, but I just remember thinking like, following the Mars Volta and everything that Omar did on his solo career, like the stuff with John Frusciante, if people got into, I felt like, mm-hmm. it felt to me like he had to take a huge step backwards in his career. Even the Crystal Fairy, that record, with Buzz from the Melvins, was uh, like light years kind of a head forward. And then the At The Drive-In, I was like, mm-hmm. I loved his. I, I did like it a lot, just but it was almost more nostalgia. Do you do you feel the same way about that, or am I just off base? No, absolutely. And and I even even to take a step further, I felt connected to that player um, as a guitar in so many ways because I remember reading an issue of Guitar World with him, and he was just saying like, "Yeah, I have a love hate relationship with this instrument. Like sometimes I love it, but it sucks to play sometimes." And I've almost felt that way in the career of Born with Cyrus, like coming up, like when we did the discovery, for example, one of us, I was like the drummer and I write all the music. So when we got to the discovery, we had another guitar player come into the picture. Who's like, Hey, I want to do some solos and stuff. And when I, before I was in Bone with Cyrus, I was in a band that only did solos. And our problem was writing songs around those solos. So this particular record came around. They're like, let's do this. I'm like, awesome. So we did a ton of that. And then afterwards that guitar player left and we were back to doing our thing. And, uh, I remember people like expected me to do shred all the time crazy fast and i was almost like 
it made it not fun. Almost like when the teacher tells you like to do something, you're like, no. And then they tell you not to do something. It's like you do it again. I, I remember feeling the same way that Omar felt in that Guitar World interview. That it's just like, I love playing it. It's been like a rock in my life since I was young. But there's that moments where it's like, but, you, but it's got to be an honest. Everything about it's got to be honest. And I feel like with him jumping between projects, that you know, there's so many different emotions going on in that in that time period of his career. So very interesting to me and that's actually a great point when the guitar is almost like a voice for certain people but when you bring that up like someone like john frashante who his job was to be an arena soloist and i'm telling you right now if anybody's seen the chili peppers when frashante was in the band that was such a amazing kind of experience for anybody i think that i've ever seen because they would play staring at each other for a long time and then his solo records he would put them out so frequently you know he did like six in one year i believe he wow. did like, but then eventually he put the guitar down he left the chili peppers and then everything else has been electronic you know since then i'll have to do my research if he did anything else do you ever fear that there's a point where that you may feel like you can't speak through that instrument anymore and that you have to transcend to something else i think that i'm gonna stay with the guitar in that sense but i've noticed a different, similar situation that you're, you're speaking of is is one is I remember being young and thinking I just want to be the best guitar player in the world. And to me, at that time, that meant the fastest, cleanest, craziest thing ever. And then, you know, that was you know when I was ten years old and I picked up a guitar. So now I'm 29. You know, we're almost 20 years later, and and I it's just like a different thing now. And I think it's because of that. I think people reached this. There's always that faster kid on YouTube. It's 14. He's coming up and he's faster and cleaner than everyone you've ever met. And it's just like, okay, so what does it even mean to be the best at guitar anymore? So I think we almost transcended that time period into now. It's like, for me, when I, when you get compared to other guitar players, it makes no sense to me. It's like, why are you comparing me to this person? Or why is this person better? Or this person worse? Because to me, it's, it's an expressive instrument. You're speaking through it. And so lately, for Infinite Mind is a perfect example. Um, for me, it's about songwriting, how I use it to write a song. And some of the reviews that I've read so far, and something that I've appreciated from it, is that the fact that people have mentioned it's not, you know, 30, 45 minutes of balls to the wall speed and shred, because I think that's done, been done so many times that um, the record is songs, digestible. And, and I want it to be digestible to people that don't even play guitar but it's just a nice sounding record. So I think that happened. I don't know when it happened. Also, I'm seeing now, you know how you can program drums. I've seen recently, just on this last tour, the opening band showed me this program that the singer uses to write his band song. And it's literally guitar programming, but the way they've sampled it, like you can barely tell. Like you can tell for sure as a guitar player, as long as I'm playing, but like you'd be shocked at how real this thing sounds. So if I see anything, for the future still ahead of us, I, I think that that might be utilized a bit more, which is scary because it's just happening with every instrument. And eventually music is just going to be electronic music, even if it's not like when, when we say electronic music right now, we're talking about a, a broad spectrum, of course, mm -hmm. but it's, it's got a vibe of sample drums, you know, but what's funny is or not funny is, the more we go in the future, every genre is becoming electronic music, even if you want to call it metal or rock. It's all electronic music now. So it's scary. I think that's the future ahead, but I just hope that people can appreciate the honesty in a player playing. For example, having Adrian play sax instead of using 
X product that you can do it for free. So we'll see what happens. But I like what you're saying there, but three, three instruments that I think in the musical genre that I listen to that have so much personality that I think are irreplaceable by computers, and I, I probably will be proved wrong in, in the future, I'm sure, is the saxophone, the piano, as you mentioned, and the guitar. I think that mm-hmm. personality of those, sometimes on recordings, might not be the same as live. Those instruments and those players, I think, are unique. I, I've seen, I, I can't even tell you, like, record-wise who my favorite guitar player is, but I'll tell you right now, every time I've seen Dean Ween play, he's got to be in the top five for me, and that doesn't even make sense to a lot of people, you know? <laughs> it's because of his personality, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's because of what... It's, he, it's just those people. Yeah, exactly. It's an extension it's, of you guys. Absolutely, and I think it, it comes to... I'm not sure if you said you played guitar or not, but one thing I've seen the debate of, or even if it's not a debate, it's just a general opinion online, is like, if I can get an Axe effects, I can sound like Misha from Periphery, or if I can get mm. this guitar here, I can sound like that guy. When my, my personal favorite guitar player right now is Guthrie Govan. Of course, he sells a signature model guitar and all that stuff. And I do too. So I'm, uh, this might sound counterintuitive to like a business thing that I'm doing, but when Guthrie picks up a guitar, it can be any guitar and you hear it's him as well as if he plays on a $50 amp and a $20, you know, guitar crap stuff, all the worst stuff. If he plays, it's going to sound incredible because I think the tone is in a player's hands and that's not something that you can really accurately turn into a computer synth. You know, you can sample a fret and a guitar. You can sample this note being played by the guitar and then do it with the next note, the next note, the next note. We can put it on the piano roll and we can try to program it all you want. But, um, you cannot take personality like you're talking about. Um, these things are not something you can just place into a keyboard and, and onto a computer. This is something that you're, I believe you will hear the person's tone is in their hands. I was just talking to a guitar player, Nick Johnston, on Instagram the other day, and he played some beautiful thing on the, and posted a video of it. And my, my, com- my comment to him was, your hands sound gorgeous and that sounds weird to someone who might not play you know guitar but that's exactly what i meant because i believe he could have done it on any guitar any amp the tone was coming from his his hands and uh i think that's an overlooked thing that i don't think we're going to be able to put into a computer absolutely not computers are convenient man that's what they're made for Mm -hmm. and uh and unfortunately one of the things that do occur with convenience is you take away that human element and that uh, i guess you know mistake prone things that we do as humans but those are the things that make all like movies we love and all those things those compromises that we had to do as humans you know in order to present our art those little mistakes are what Mm -hmm. make it special and to take that away is it's a scary process but it's also why if if i'm I'm just going to go off on a tangent it's also why entertainment's not as important as it used to be to the youth is because they feel it's computerized yeah i think that even if people don't realize it, I think it's in the back of their head. I, it, it's comparable to me to something Joe Satriani said about having a guitar that's in tune. He said that, like, even if you can't listen, if I played a chord and something was just microscopically out of tune, and I asked you, or not, you know, someone who maybe even have close to perfect pitch, like, is this guitar in tune? They'll say yes, but what what they don't realize is that in the back of their mind, it, it's 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 not, and the brain waves aren't picking up on it like that. So there's he was saying like it can be slightly, slightly, slightly off and your brain is not fooled. And I think that comes with natural instruments versus fake. Like I was just actually listening to the System of a Down record. I don't remember where it was the other day. There are so many string 
bleeps and mistakes on the system of down records, but I wouldn't change it for a thing. Like I, I think it gives it so much attitude and, and that's funny because I don't know how you would say if they're new or not, but that's a big production record with, where there's a lot of money going into it where they chose to leave the honesty in it. And I think that's cool because they had the budget they had at that time, you know, when downloading CDs wasn't as big of a thing. They they had the they had the budget, huge budgets to fix that little string bleep. It's in the middle of that riff. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be there, but they left it in there. I think that whether we realize it or not, we we know what's real, and I think our brains strive for it. Another thing, so I, I produced the simulation by Born Osiris and Infinite Mind. So I did all the tracking, engineering, the instruments. So in this day and age, with metal, especially Born Osiris style, it's like the copy and paste era. Like we want everything to sound like a machine. That's the bonus our style. And so, and you know, and the, not saying that that was our style, like we got it from the faceless and wherever it came from, who knows? I'm not taking credit for it, but it is what it is. One thing I did on that uh, simulation record when I was recording guitars, if a chorus happened three times or, or two times, whatever, a riff repeated four times within itself, I decided that I was not going to copy and paste anything on any of those records because in my mind, even if you don't know that listening to it, I believe that your brain is, is tickled in a different way because it's hearing the same thing that you might not consciously realize is, is different each take. I think your brain knows, and I truly believe it'll give things shelf life. So that's a little experiment I have. I don't know how I'll find out if it was successful or not, but that's just me going off even further in, in ways that I truly believe you can tickle your brain without even being conscious of it. And all those records you mentioned with System of a Down, for people that know, Rick Rubin produced all those. And I think that's his mantra, mm-hmm. is to be like, leave it. Leave it. Like, Absolutely. He captures an energy, right? And then certain bands that want to sound perfect, they never work out with Rick Rubin. I think like Slipknot didn't work out with Rick Rubin, even though that's probably my favorite record of theirs. That's the thing, is that like the energy and the individualism with those mistakes matter, I think, for all art form. I know country, like when people do the country records, like kind of the outlaw country records, those dudes, they'll do it in a take. It doesn't sound clean at yeah. all, you know? It, uh, it might be spanning multiple genres. Um, I, I've, I've just been like just twirling these thoughts around in my head for years. And so I did it out of a another crazy thought but i agree it's not an original idea what's funny is i say this is unique now i just said that not copying and pasting made it it's supposed to make it unique how funny is it that that's even a conversation because in the past you had to lay the whole thing down that's just what it was and so now for me in in this year in 2019 to say here's check this cool thing out i didn't copy and paste that's just funny in general but yeah i think spanning all genres there's there's unique people out there even if you take what, what i would have said is electronic music might be the most copy and paste situation out there, but I'm seeing really cool, really uh, unique uh, producers. We'll call them for sure. Um, they'll they'll not have everything be on the grid. They'll put that snare slightly off the grid, and as a matter of fact, they'll put a kick on the grid and a snare slightly off. So there's almost like a like a like a clap, almost like a two people clapping at the same time kind of vibe. And, and it's bringing out the honesty in the music. And I think that that's something that really, like, when I hear that, it gets me going more than, like, the perfect electronic recording with monstrous samples. Sure, I dig that, too, whatever. But I dig when people do those imperfections. And, and it's almost like um, they're doing it purposely now just to stand out. And I think it's cool. But 
things are definitely in an interesting place as far as perfection goes in music these days. Now, we do want to talk about the Born of Osiris record, The Simulation. You guys released it just January, just a couple months back. And the second part is coming out this year. Now, I did want to bring up that Sumerian's done this a few times. They did it with BT Bam last year in Automata. And they did it with the mm-hmm. periphery, I think, Alpha and Omega a couple years back. Is this a marketing strategy or is this something that the bands kind of bring to the label? It's a bit of both, and I have no shame in admitting it. Um, so first of all, I think that I think the radio model with music these days is let's give a single and another single and another single and another single. And what I like about that is each song gets its full attention. So for me, when we when I did the simulation, it was 16 songs or whatever. And in my mind, I guarantee, and I'm not going to speak for everyone, but there's a good chunk of the people that would buy that record or stream it or not, and who cares either way how they get it, but they're going to listen to the first four tracks a lot, first six, first eight, maybe ten. But the last six songs out of 16, I truly believe, are going to be paid less attention to by a certain amount of the fan base. And I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm not saying how big of a part of the fan base that is. But I truly believe attention span in this day and age has kind of gone out the window. So first in my mind was splitting it up gives you two eight-song albums that you can listen to those eight songs. And in the time you have it, I do believe each song will get its moment. Because there's never a song that I write that I'm like, this one's sick. This one I hope people don't listen to as much. You know, nobody thinks that way. So we all think everything is great, or we at least strive to make everything great. So each song, we do want to have its moment. If it was up to us, there'd be a music video for every song. Every song would be a single. I understand that's not how it works. But that's that mindset, is to give each song its moment. Now, as far as a business standpoint goes, um, another thing I find is that, again, attention span. So you put on an album, your band's popping for three to six months. Everyone's talking about that record, right? And then, cool, you're touring wherever, and you got to start writing for the next one. So the mindset with this uh, is from a business standpoint. And again, it's not necessarily how much money we can make. It's not a, it's not a scam, but it is spreading out the attention to me. So this album comes out, simulations out, six months later, eight months later, when things are starting to slow down a bit, boom, we hit it again. So instead of having a half a year where your band's in the spotlight doing cool things, to me it made it feel like um, you get a whole year's worth if you spread it out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. If, I don't consider it a scam. I just consider it appealing to people's attention span. And uh, and I'm sure not everyone is like that. Some people really love 16 songs, and they're going to listen to it beginning to end each time they sit down. There is that group of people out there, and I appreciate them. Um, but unfortunately, that's not everyone. I think the material for the bands that we we're talking about it works that way, you know. I don't, I don't know if uh, splitting up like uh, I just got the Devin Townsend record, so I'll use him as an example to split up that record. Oh, beautiful, right? Empath, dude, it's it's yeah, really good, gorgeous. man. But that's what I'm saying. Like if you split up that record, it might harm it because that last mm-hmm. song, Singularity, I think it's maybe 20 minutes if you get through all the parts or whatever. But the point is, is that 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 epic journey, that's his style of music, so. But with you guys, exactly right. you're right. You, you guys do write the songs. And you know what? Just to bring up the, the solo record, same format. It's a, it's a half-hour record. Each song stands by itself. And as an instrumental record, that's a little more difficult, I think. Because a lot of times, with me growing up, when I listen to Steve Vai or Joe Satriani, Nia Strauss put out one last year that I really loved, Controlled Chaos, mm-hmm. is that you do sometimes when, they, when they're, I guess, you know, soloing away, you do kind of get lost in it because there's not a lyric to sing with, you know? 
mm-hmm. because they're longer records. I agree. Yeah, so um, I think that that's a that's a very good use on both sides. Yeah, I think what you said as well is is, is exactly right. I think it's situational. I, the I wouldn't change a thing about anything Devin Townsend does ever. As a matter of fact, because of his influence on female vocals, aside from his, he always has a gorgeous female vocal. All of the voices on Infinite Mind. I'm just talking about choirs and things like that and synthesized, you know, vocal sounds. That's all female. So he's a huge influence on me in a million ways. And I agree. I wouldn't change a thing about that. Um, it, uh, you know, there's just those bands, the dream theaters, the, uh, mm-hmm. the Devin Townsend is that you don't want to screw up that process. And I think it's important to say, as I give my opinion on intention span within an album and within how to roll out albums, I need to say that there's no right answer. Um, that's just the way we've decided to do with Born with Cyrus. And so I don't want to say anybody else is doing it wrong for the record. It's just a uh, different music and different approach. Yes. That's, and that's what I was kind of getting at at the drive-ins, a 35 minute record. Mars Volta is 79 to the, and then it cuts off. Like the song doesn't even stop. Right. It's just a different <laughs> approach. I remember that. I'm like, it's over, you know, but they didn't even like, there was no outro. It's just like slop it up till the end, man. You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. you did a piece for metal sucks a little while back. It was, uh, I believe when the EP came out with the 10 year anniversary, of you guys' EP with the, uh, at Sumerian, you brought up the 10 year difference between when you started and you were 17 and 18 till now, uh, at the time in 2017. So, and one of the big things you brought up was how MySpace was supportive to finding new music and doing all those things. And something like Facebook, more or less, kind of hurts a band more than helps them because you have to pay for advertising that you don't get out to your fans and all that stuff. Do you think that the social media importance on art, importance on popularity, has somehow affected just art in general? Absolutely. I, I actually just made like a, a tweet the other day, and I, and I almost got some of my guitar player friends, you know, pissed about it, which wasn't my intention, but I was saying, I see some of the most incredible guitar players um, I've ever seen on Instagram, and they're just posting videos of them playing 10 seconds every day. So cool, that's kick-ass content. That's something that I am not good at, because my, me, I when my wife's at work 9 to 5, you know, weekdays, I'm in my studio. That's how I can do this much music in, in this sort of a time span. So for me, I'm constantly writing music. And so my social media is kind of shot. Like I have pictures that people take on tour I can post, but as far as me sitting down and making video content, that's a weakness for me. Now on the other side of that coin is incredible guitar players that just post Instagram content. I'm like, where's your record? I got to hear your record. Give me something. I want to hear a song. And they don't have that. It's because they're spending so much time making Instagram content. And yeah, sure. It's great. I love watching it. I'll continue to watch it. But there's these guys, I'm like, God, you should have a record out. All the time you spent in the last two years on your Instagram could be two albums that'll last longer than you when you die. Your records are going to be here forever. That's something that you cannot ever take away from anybody. Instagram goes down, what happens? Holy shit, like, that's it. A record you can't take away. It lasts forever past you. And so for me, it's such a shame to see that. And I, when I said that, it was almost like I was hoping for people to be like, you know what, damn, Maybe I'll write a song today and get that recorded instead of, you know, get lighting in my studio, right, and make another Instagram video of something. So, yeah, it wasn't a diss, but I think it's something that's drastically affecting things. And so even as I try to pick up my Instagram game or whatever, now they're doing these algorithms where things are changing. Uh, Facebook is just destroyed now because one of Osiris has, like, 
three quarters of a million people that follow the band and we post something, it says reached 3,000 people or some crazy shit like that. Yeah. This is 750,000 people that clicked follow for a reason because they wanted to see the things that we had to say or the things that we're doing. And now they don't even get that because some third party, and I understand it's their website we're posting on, but now they need money for it. I have a, a little fan page. It's neglected. It's got 20,000 followers, whatever. It's not big, but I post something on there. It says like reached 17 people, 70 people. I'm like, what the hell's the point of this? So my thing is, is if Instagram is king right now, what happens when they start doing it there? I can already boost posts on my Instagram. So it makes me wonder if it's not already there. Not as bad as Facebook, but damn, it's like social media is the future. But then as each one gets ruined, but now you need another one because someone else wants to cash in. And musicians already make nothing off of their music anyways. I'm sure you've heard that Vince Gill quote where it's like 99 cent fart machine app is, you know, it's the same cost as my intellectual property, my, the thing that I put my heart and soul into. You get that for free, but you can't get that fart app for free. Like that's a, the last thing I said was a little different than his original quote, but it's a sad truth. No, I, I completely get it. And you're right, instant celebrity, just that moment, that, that's, what, that's what's changed is that the moment matters to people. You don't build moments, you know what I'm saying? You have to, I don't know, I'm going to quote a John Frusciante song, but moments have you, you know what I'm saying? That's what happens. You, don't, you, you live your life, and then as you build something, it grows and it creates its own life. That's what art is about. You're putting something out Absolutely. there that is a creation, you know, and then instant celebrity or instant you know gratification or even instant money how people get paid in a lot of the industries these days like here's a big fat whatever all that stuff it it, it hurts the long picture in the long haul and it's Mm -hmm. but the crazy thing is that i always feel like i'm the one that's crazy thinking no you're supposed to take your time and do these (laughs) things it's like i'm the one that's like off it's like no no just make them notice you for 30 seconds and that's more important than putting three years into something you know that's yeah it's a shame it's like while you're being a real human and wanting real interaction and real content not instagram content real life content like an album or, or a concert something real they're gonna say you're crazy because you're not spending enough time being an entrepreneur on instagram or some shit like it's like now it's to the point where it's like you're the bad guy for not doing it when it used to be like when it was starting to get a little ridiculous people were like all right I'm going to put the phone down and live a real life. That's, that's what's cool. But now you have it. It's like, well, you didn't take the new, how to maximize your Instagram content course online for 80 bucks a month or some shit. Like it's all twisted up. It's crazy. Cause like when you look at record sales and stuff like that and vinyls doing the best, it's like, wow, they had it right the first time. You know, it's like, that's kind of like, <laughs> like the big picture with the, the record that you have to like take care of that you had to be responsible with, you know, they had it right way back then. It's like, that's selling more now, you know? Funny you say that with, when it comes to having it right the first time, I was just reading an article about songwriting mm-hmm. And how people will spend so much time going back over it and going back over it and going back over it and going back over it that there was a test and I don't know how they did it and I wish I could give you the source, but basically what they found was that like within first decision or like 20th take, like idea wise, not laying a take down, that they found like usually you're right the first time around. Your gut instinct, your first one is right. So it's funny that you say that because I feel like it's applicable to more things than we realize. 
Yeah, dude, I'm completely right. Because when you say say actor takes a take and they're prepared and they're ready, and then the director changes seven, 17 things as you're going through as an actor, no, you were, your mind mm-hmm. was right, your intuition was right, your feeling was right, your heart was right, and now you've got 17 other things in your head to get it right. And so, yeah, completely. Yeah. You know, it's like whatever take you use, man, the good ones are going to be in the front. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I do... And, want, hey, maybe there's an imperfection in there, you know? What would be so wrong with that, you know? Yeah, that's a little time we go full circle. I like that. That's what I like mm-hmm. to do. <laughs> yeah, so. Wow, my dogs are the worst. Ah, that's all good. Dogs so, are the best. I was just going to give you, a, not yeah. like a sob story here, but my house just got robbed, like, a couple weeks ago. I saw and, that And uh, my thing. dogs were home in the oh. cage, so, like, since they were here in the cage the whole time, like, they are just, like, acting crazy lately. But oh. that's what that is. Any bump of wind outside, they're just flipping up. I had this guilty thought that it was, like, the week before the album came out, my, my solo record. Mm-hmm. And so, like, after making the post, and the bottom line for the post was, this has happened to other people that have somewhat of a following on the line. And, it's, and they, they have, like, full return rate. Because when you have a reach, that's the only reason I went public about it in the first place. So to hopefully get these guitars back and bust the person because they left like a knife in my studio. Mm-hmm. My wife could have been home. So anyways, it was like the week of the album was coming out. And so that day I posted that. And then the next day I'm like, all right, pre-orders for my album. And I was like, fuck, this just looks terrible. I shouldn't have to think about it because it wasn't a, like a thing that I wanted to have happen, of course. But it was just weird how my, my mind was like, oh, does this look like a fucking like a ploy or something? No, I think a lot of people understood it, and it's just the timing, man. Your heart's in the right place. If you're a genuine dude, then people get it. It's just a part of us all. As I think, I think a part of everybody that's that's been in, in the arts or in the art forms, it's like you know you you need those fans. You, ne- you know you need them to survive in a lot of ways. So it's so hard to ask for extra when you just yeah. want to give them this, you know. But I always stand by that. Your fans are your friends. You know, you may not know that you bring joy to their life through your music every day and you have no idea that reach across the world so that just basically like the fact that if, if we can give them that joy the, the, the payoff is that if they truly enjoy it they support it yes. and in turn that lets you have the joy of continuing to do this little dream we've all had since a kid this music thing so it's a really dependable dependable relationship if that's the way you want to say it but um it's a beautiful thing i feel like i haven't really started to realize that it took me a while i always say this about born Cyrus because we've we got signed i was 17 years old and like imagine being in high school and you're the dudes and like all of a sudden the signed band and and so what i feel like is like growing up we like grew up in front of like the metal scene whether that was our fan base or like metal news metal injector whatever it is and so i feel like there's so many times where like people will be like oh born Cyrus, they're psychos like they're just young drug addicts, alcoholic kids, you know. I feel like it's hard to escape their reputation. So anytime anything like this happens, it's just like, oh, it's the craziest thing. But I feel like I spent along the way so much time, like, blinded by what was happening coming up in Born with Cyrus. That, like, until you take that step back and chill out, now I'm, like, married and totally calm. But now I realize how we need fans to really keep this thing alive 100% because I can put out infinite mind but if nobody buys it nobody likes it next time i go to samarian or wherever say hey i'm ready to do another one and you're like "Eh." you know it didn't really work the first time so it's a beautiful relationship in the end and everybody kind of needs each other 
With that, dude, Lee, I just want to tell everybody one more time, guys, make sure you get your hands on Infinite Minds. It's out now. It's an excellent record, dude. Uh, very inventive and very well done song structure, everything like that on this record. So we're going to play a track for everybody to hear. And then make sure you guys do pick up the latest from Born of Osiris. If you haven't yet, the simulation and look for part two coming out this year still. Is that correct? That's the plan, yeah. So we, we're going to write a few more songs and hopefully it doesn't take long. But yeah, as of now, we have another eight song, one ready to go. But um, we were thinking about putting it up to 11. Um, if the worst case scenario would be more music, it comes out a little later. But no, we're not talking two years from now or a year from now. We're talking, you know, we're going to get it going. Excellent, dude. So with that, Lee, dude, I just want to thank you so much for having the chat with me, doing it, and calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Dude, absolutely. I want to say thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time of your day to feature me and the music. I appreciate you, man. Need you as well as the fans.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
And we are back. First song you guys heard is off Lee McKinney's solo record, Infinite Mind, which is out now. And that song is called A Never-Ending Explosion. Next song you heard is off of Born of Osiris' latest record, The Simulation. That track's called Analogs in a Cell. And the last song we played, guys, is off Druids. That song is called The Whip, and their new album, Monument, which I am a huge fan of, is coming out April 19th, guys. So if you haven't pre-ordered that, make sure you do. I want to thank you guys all once again for the five-star reviews that we keep seeing popping up on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for that, and we will talk to you guys next week. And do us a solid. Don't burn any churches. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.